For those of you uh, who haven't uh, been around all semester, we have been doing a, a series called Called, Called to God and Called to Go. And this is modeled after uh, the call of the disciples from Jesus Christ uh, to him uh, out of Mark, Mark chapter 3. And he, he calls the disciples to him. And then we go through a, 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 whole, uh, a whole narrative, a whole story, a whole adventure of uh, the disciples being with him, being, being trained by him, being taught by him, uh, being transformed by him uh, in their lives, in, in their identities, in, in everything that they, they thought they knew and lived. And, but that wasn't the end of it for them. Uh, he, the part of his call to him was his call for them to then go. Uh, from him, because we, we all know the story. Uh, Jesus' ministry uh, was not uh, to be indefinite, right? It was, his ministry was, uh, was a very definite period of time uh, that he then entrusted to his disciples, that he then entrusted to his people, but he empowered them, and he equipped them, and he transformed them uh, to, to carry out that call, and that we live through that same exact uh, story in our lives, being called to God, being called into His presence, into relationship with Him, uh, but then, but then we're told to go with that. And so, this whole semester, uh, we're exploring those ideas. And so, the first half of this semester, uh, we're really deep into what does it mean to be with God, to be in the presence of God, to come to God, and be with Him. And then, uh, about the se second half of the semester. We'll explore ideas of uh, what it means for us to be called to go. And so, uh, so far we've been uh, in ideas like being people of the word, as uh, being in the word, being of the word, being uh, in and around the word, the word being of us and in us as a, one of our primary ways of being with God. And so we spent a couple weeks on that. How do we know that? How do we, how do we experience that? How do we get into the Word? How do we read the Word? How do we understand the Word? How do we, uh, how do we live the Word in our lives? Uh, and then last week, we uh, were in prayer, uh, being with God through, through the avenue of prayer. And uh, Jenny uh, just did an amazing job in helping us to understand how the, the, the pathway of praying and how we can pray and, and uh, different ways of praying and understanding prayer. Uh, and so uh, tonight we're going to move into, well, let me ask you this first. What are you into? What are the important things in your life? What are, what are things in your life that you can't live without? What are the things that are so important to you that you just can't even imagine? Oh, <laughs> 10,000 Jesus points right here. 10,000 Food. Okay. Yes? The internet. The internet, man. So absolutely true. Yes. Family? All right. All right. Yeah. Is this the right answer? Family? Maybe? <laughs> Take friendship, right? What are the things that you love? What are the things that, that you're just really passionate about? Video games, yes. I like it. Music. Music. What? School. school? Passionate about school. Right here. Nerd alert. <laughs> Movies? What? Psych. Psych? Oh, the show. Okay. 
Psych. I don't know what it means. <laughs> right. What else? What are what are you what are you just passionate about? What are you what gets your blood moving? What do you love to spend time with? Wrong answer. I mean that's a right answer, but it's a wrong answer. What what what? Po- what Pokemon? Nice. That sounds really weird. <laughs> you know, you know what, what uh, kind of almost surprises me about coming to work here in, in ministry at the University of Texas, and I didn't really think it would be this way at the University of Texas, and that what, what kind of is not really present among you guys on the whole. What? Football. Yes, football. Like... Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what, what were you saying, Karina? You, were you saying something, Karina? Oh, well, yeah, we've got a few. We've got a few, but un- in- interestingly, it's, it's like the in- exception in this group, which was kind of uh, weird to me. I thought it would be different uh, here at in Longhorn country. Um, but man, oh, I have, let me tell you just the obsession that I've seen, and it exists here uh, among some people, the obsession with college football. Um, and I, you know, I grew up in, well, I, I mean, I was reared, uh, you know, in Sooner Nation, uh, where it's a huge thing, you know, especially, you know, I came, I came in uh, right when Bob Stoops started and brought OU back to the glory, the glory days. The second, my second year in college, we went to the national championship and just blew it away. And that was, that was like a euphoria that nobody has ever known or experienced, you know, just among a whole kind of people because they're so passionate about it and it's so huge and you just, people are living it. And then I went from the, from, uh, the University of Oklahoma right when I graduated to ministry at the University of Alabama. And if you think it's bad at a place like University of Oklahoma, you ain't seen nothing <laughs> to you at the University of Alabama. These people start showing up on Wednesday for a sa- I am not even kidding you, for a Saturday game. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's huge in Alabama to follow the team every, everywhere in RVs. So there's thousands of these RVs of just fans that, that follow the team. I'm not kidding you. And, and when, when they came, they, they played at, at OU uh, years ago when I was still a student there. And, and, and I, I passed by the, uh, uh, the basketball, the basketball arena, and the whole parking lot, as far as the eye could see, was nothing but RVs. I'm like, what is going on? on here. And I figured out it was the ba- they call themselves the Bama town that follows Alabama. It's also Oklahoma. These people are nuts. <laughs> nuts about their football. I'm not kidding. It is crazy. I, I mean, I consider myself a big football fan, but this is, I mean, it's like you say it jokingly, it's like religion. I mean, it really is like religion. It's like worship. You know, worship. Um, now, let's talk about worship tonight. What is worship? Tell me, what is worship? Praise. Praise, okay. That's a good churchy word. What does it mean? Okay, okay. Loving and admiring something bigger than yourself. Okay, that's great. 
Um, what, what else would you add, or what else would you say about worship? Whatever it is, says to offer yourself completely to something. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, Austin? Connecting to and investing in something. Connecting to, uh, worship being connecting to and investing in something. Okay. I think possessing, remembering something, like to give it glory. Okay. To, to give something glory or give something reverence. Yeah, right? Okay. Okay. What, what kind of things do you find yourself worshiping in your life? Now, let's, you know, let's not get overly guilty like, you know, this, some idolatry or something. But, like, what, what kind of things do you find yourself giving, giving great reverence to or giving great, uh, yeah? Uh, that I'm safe, my family's safe, people around me are safe, uh, healthy mind, body. Okay, yeah, okay. All right, all right. Worshiping safety and security. Okay, it's fair. What else? Who's brave enough to admit to some level of worship of some? All right. I worship Ben and Jerry. <laughs> Who we have on the stage tonight, by the way. Ben, ben and Jerry. Job security. It's huge, right? Yeah. Yeah, looking for a little bit of that today, right? No. <laughs> hey, it's okay, man. We're all that's why everybody <laughs> You just you just look really nice all the time, Korea. Apple consideration. <laughs> yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we find ourselves we find ourselves in this kind of worship. Um, I mean and, and sometimes if we're really, really honest, to just maybe straight up worship of a lot of different things. Right? Um, but I want to talk tonight about that very thing. Uh, if we're called to be with God, we're called to come and, and, and exist in the presence of God, part of that experience, and I want to I say, you know, I, I mean, I could say about everything that we talk about, it's like the central thing. I want to say that, but it's all the central thing, right? Being in the Word, being in prayer, but being people who worship. Worship is one of our unbelievably important ways that we have of being with God, being in the presence of God, being, being a people who e- exist with God. It's worship. And, and the, the word worship itself, and some of you may even know this, and, and Timmy, you just almost hit a nail on the head, uh, the word worship itself, the definition of it is to, uh, to acknowledge, it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of worth, right? To ascribe worth to something is what you do when you worship, right? And so I hope that each of us who have an investment in our relationship with God, in our walk with God, can say that we are a people who worship God, that we ascribe worth to God. Now, I think the fair question to this is, why do we do that? Why do we worship? Uh, well, I want to talk about uh, a few 
just a few answers to that question that I think are the critical components to thinking about being a people who worship. Um, and, and that is this. Why do we worship? Well, first, we worship to respond to God. Okay? We worship to respond to God. Has God done anything for you? Question. Has God done anything for you? Yeah, well, I hope that he has. I mean, I hope that's not just, that's not just you feel like you have to say yes. I know that sometimes some of us in some ways in, in parts of our life are not sure of that, and that's okay. If you're not sure of that question, it's okay. It's okay. But if you know and you have experienced and you understand and you believe that God has done something for you, I hope that that compels you to some kind of response. And what I want to offer is that one of your greatest responses to what God has done in you and what God is doing in you and continues to do in you is to simply worship Him, right? To ascribe great and amazing and powerful worth to God uh, because of that, because it's a response. And I think, and, and God wants to do amazing things and powerful things in all of his people um, that can't not merit a response from them. So what has God done for you? What has God been for you, right? We, we have, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of amazing worship in there. But it's worship that comes out of a, a powerful response to the presence of of God, the presence and the work and the, and the holiness of God. All right, we have Revelation 4, uh, 8 through 11. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Why would somebody say that? Right? Does God need to be told that? Does God need to be told He is holy, 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 and He's the Almighty? No, this is a response, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy. There it is, right? You are worthy. This is our worship. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. That's one thing God has done, right? You are created by God, by the power and the love and the grace of God. You have your being. Right? You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is a response to just that simple, powerful nature of God who has created his amazing creation. Right? Yeah, so we worship to respond to God, 
right? And I hope that that's something that, that you're doing. I hope all of these things are, are what you come here to do and that we're doing together tonight, even tonight, as we are responding to God. So we respond to God and we reflect on God. Worship, we, one of the reasons we worship is to reflect on God. What's one of the, the, the languages that we commonly use even as we start something like this uh, time of worship, right? It's coming into the presence of God. And I'm afraid that that becomes a little bit cliche for us. Let's come into the presence of God. Let's be in the presence of God. Do you realize what that means? Have you thought that through? Have you thought how crazy the idea is to be in the presence of God. One of my professors years ago said, God is the God who will melt your face off at his whim. Right? And that's right. Right? That's the power God has. If it's the whim of God to melt your face off, then he can do that. Right? Now, whose face has been melted off by God? Well, nobody here. Thank God. Thank God, right? Right? But that's the God we serve. That's the power of the God we serve. Now, we believe that he's not really in the business of melting people's faces off. But he sure could do that, right? Yeah. Being in the presence of God should cause us to reflect on God, to reflect on who God is, right? Who are we before God? This should be one of our, the questions we work on in our spirit all the time. Who are we before God? One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 8. And it, and it, it explores this idea of, of how do we even think of our existence before God. Right? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens, right? God, the ultimate being, the ultimate idea, the ultimate power that we, can, we just kind of have this idea of him being in the heavens, the spiritual realm that's beyond anything we can even know. You have set your glory in the heavens through, praises of, through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them, right? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever gaze into the night sky? Not in Austin, Right? Out where you can actually see the fullness of the night sky and think, I am this big. Right? So who am I before the one where the universe, not just me, the universe, is right here for him? But the psalm goes on. The psalm goes on to, 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 to explain like how we actually are something special to God. Right? This 
can only take us to worship. So, we worship to respond to God. We worship to reflect on God. We worship to submit to God. This, I think, is one of the hardest ideas to deal with. Because why do we, why do we often wear, I mean, if, I mean, if we're ascribing worth to something, if we're praising uh, God, we're praising, you know, what, why usually is that? Because wonderful things, right? We have wonderful things to praise God for. Well, do we always have wonderful things to praise God for? we submit to God in the moments of our lives that we have great pain, the moments of our lives where we have great loss, the great moments of our lives where we have great doubts and great fears, we submit to God. Not just, not, we don't just lay down before God. We submit to God in worship. One of the most powerful stories of this, to me, uh, is in 2 Samuel, the Old Testament. King David, King David was one of the uh, most important figures. We'll let them deal with that. Uh, uh, we'll let them deal with that. We'll come back here. Uh, okay? All right. Uh, King David was one of the most important figures in all whole history of Israel. Right? If you know anything about King David, you know, you know the, how, what, a, what an amazing person he was, what an incredible king he was. I mean, revered throughout history even to this day. But David was a very, very flawed individual. Uh, and, and David went about, uh, I mean, he gave, he gave in to his lust. Uh, he, had, uh, he had adulterous uh, sex with Bathsheba on the roof of his palace. Uh, she ended up getting pregnant. He, uh, he brought her husband back from the battlefield uh, to, uh, to have sex with her, to make it look like the baby was hers. It didn't happen. He sent him back out into the battlefield to have him killed. He was. So, I mean, he, he essentially went from uh, a lustful guy to uh, an, an adulterous uh, kind of guy to, uh, to a murderer uh, in just a really short span of time. And this prophet Nathan came to him and confronted him about it. So you have that whole story in 2 Samuel. And Nathan, Nathan gave him these warnings, uh, called him to the carpet on everything he had done. David realized his sin, but, and, he, and he cried out for forgiveness. He cried out uh, for, uh, for, the, for God to, to save him through this sinfulness. And God did. We, you can read Psalm 51 as the whole horrific cry of David out to God. But he said there are still consequences. There are still consequences to this, and this baby is going to die. So in 2 Samuel 2, we have this. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, had born to David, and he became ill. David 
pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood, before, stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. And on the seventh day, God made good on this. The child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. But David, despite his faults, David, despite his sinfulness and the brokenness in him, was still a man, what? What do you know about David? A man after God's own heart. A broken man, a sinful man, but still a man after God's own heart. Right? David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Now pay careful attention. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord, and he what? He did what? He worshipped. Why would David worship at a time like this? Talk to me. Why would David worship at a time like this? says God remained true to his promises, which is true. Greg? Submitted to God. Right? And in his submission, David's submission to God led him to really the only thing that he could do before God at that point. Right? And that was worship. Worship the holy God. Can you imagine doing that? We worship God because he is God. And I think that's why David worshipped at this point. He realized that God was God. Right? Hebrews 13, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So we worship to respond to God, we worship to reflect on God, we worship to submit to God, and we worship to give to God. Okay? This is a short point, right? It's, it's straight from Romans 12. First verse of Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? 
because this is your true and proper worship. I think we could have a whole night just on that one. But I want to let, let that one stew with you. Okay? So why do we worship? To worship, to respond to God, to reflect on God, to submit to God, and to give to God. This is the fullness of what our worship really should be. And I want to ask you, is that your experience of worship? I want that to be our individual experience of worship, and I want that to be the experience that we have together with worship. Now, I have to do this. I have to do this because it has to be done, and I have to just spend a minute on what worship is not. I think in our culture, especially our Christian culture right now, we have some odd ideas about what worship is. And they creep in, and they kind of take over, and I think they they end up kind of perverting the idea of worship away from these really full, deep, meaningful things to these kind of more shallow ideas. And let me just say this. Worship is not an event. Worship is not an event. Now, what we do here on Wednesday nights on Sunday mornings, uh, you know, here at the church or wherever you go to church or if you go to church sometime else or somewhere else or some other time. Yes, this is worship. This is worship. This should be an amazing experience of worship for you. But worship itself is not an event. Your life every day should be worship, right? That's the point of Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, let me read it again. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. That's a continuous kind of thing, right? Our bodies are living sacrifices to God. That is worship, okay? Our gatherings give us opportunity to worship together, but don't let this be your only experience of worship. I'm so thankful we get to do this, and I love doing this. I love us all getting together for worship. I love Jerry's leadership in this. I love all everybody who helps with this. I love that you guys come together. But do not let this be your only experience of worship. If it is, you are getting a just a taste of what worship can be in your life. Right? Jesus stood before a woman in John 4. And there's a many powerful lessons in this story of him and the Samaritan woman at the well, but one in, in the midst of this kind of odd conversation that goes everywhere, uh, uh, she brings up this question, you know, where are we supposed to worship? Is it on this mountain, like my people say, or is it in Jerusalem, like your people say? Like, I'm trying to get this worked out so that I know, you know, what, what's, you know, what's the right thing to do here? And Jesus gives her an all-time wise idea and answer to this. It says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. Salvation's from the Jews. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So, should we worship on this mountain or this mountain? Wrong question. 
where do you worship? How do you worship? In spirit, in truth. It's not about where you are. It's not about what you do. It's not, it's not, about, it's not about these events or things or whatever. It's, it's this life of living in the spirit and truth because that's what the Father seeks. These are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth, not in a place doing certain things. That was their idea of it. So worship is not an event, and worship is not the absence of doubt or wrestling. Now, this goes back a little bit to what we talked about with David. But I want to reemphasize that our worship does not come out of, doesn't just come from the place of joy in our hearts. It comes from the, the dark places in us, too. If you were with us on retreat this past weekend, we spent some time in Psalm 22. And what do you remember? If, if you were there, do you remember the first line of Psalm 22? We spent a fair amount of time on it. What, say, it say it again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who, who ended up saying that later? Jesus himself. The Son of God himself on the cross gave this line from a dark place in him, from a, from a terrible, tortured place in him. He cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I want to challenge you, I want to, I want to encourage you to go back and read that whole psalm again. I'll read the first part of it to you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. That's a, that, those are anguished things to say, right? That doesn't sound a whole lot like worship. But hear this. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And the whole song goes on and on like that. To find worship in the dark place of the heart. We can do that. Let me read you this quote. It's uh, something that Jenny passed along to me. It was just perfect. It's from Sean Groves. It goes like this. Worship is not a song. Worship is my response to God with all that I am, to all that He is, all that He has done, is doing and will do in me, in me, through me, around me, and in spite of me. It's not just a song. Worship is our response with all of our lives, everything that we've been given, to all that God is. And so if we come in here in this place and we raise our hands and uh, raise our hands and we raise our voices, which we should do, but we don't stretch out these hands, these, stretch these hands out when we leave this place to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and fight for the poor and the oppressed, then what you and I have done in, is worship a singer or a song, but not a God. Let's take our worship from this to this. We 
because that puts us into the presence of God. So I want to challenge you to worship this week. Okay, you're like, well, I'm here. Well, yeah, awesome, perfect. I'm glad you are. But guess what? You know, when we, when we end tonight, our worship doesn't end. It's not just here or at church. Worship at home. Worship in your dorm room. Worship in your apartment. Worship on your way to class. Worship when you are stuck in traffic this week, which you will be if you drive anywhere. If you do this, you will know more about being with God than you ever could have imagined. Do you believe that? I believe that for all of us. Let's do that. Let's be those people. Let's pray about that. Father, we want to be a, a people that worships, and, and uh, not just in this place, and not just with our, our, our great music and, and our, our songs and our time together. Father, we want, to, we want to be a people who live a life of worship because we know that's something that, that you have called us to and you've given us and, and, uh, you, and you expect of us, frankly, uh, that we want to live by. And so help us. Help us to be a people who know what it is to worship. Worship in the awesome times. Worship out of our joy and worship out of our, our pain and our stress and our, and our sorrow as well uh, because you are the living God. And we're before you, and you have taken us into your kingdom and empowered us with great spiritual power, Father, uh, and, and strengthen us in, in every kind of way through all things. Father, and we, so we give this worship uh, to you tonight, but our worship tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that as well. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.